You're listening to Mapleview Community Church Podcast. Well, we're going to stick with your theme, which is an amazing theme, wind and spirit. And this week I'm going to be talking about the wind of the spirit and next week the fire of the spirit as well. We sang uh, Fresh Wind this morning. We sang another song about the Holy Spirit, and that's going to be our focus. And I'm going to be speaking to you on the subject, Catching the Wind to Complete the Great Commission. Catching the Wind to Complete the Great Commission. Let me pray first. Lord, I need your help. I pray, God, that you would speak through me as I'm going to be talking about your spirit, Lord. Fill me afresh right now with your spirit that I can breathe out your word and that indeed each and every one of us will be changed by your presence and through this word we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Does the Bible say much about the Holy Spirit as wind? Well, yes, everywhere, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, you know, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. Say ruach with me, ruach. Isn't that a lovely sound? You have to watch you don't sit too close to somebody in front of you when you do that last part, the ruach. But anyway, um, it's the same word that can be translated as spirit, breath, or wind. Really, everywhere. And then you've got a New Testament word. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word pneuma is uh, the word for that. It also can be translated as Holy Spirit or spirit, breath, and wind. Uh, some of you who are into the contracting business, you know about pneumatic drills. Remember the word, Greek word, pneuma, for wind or spirit or breath. And uh, these are powerful tools as the wind is harnessed and you can go through concrete uh, drilling and all kinds of things. But it comes from that root word, pneuma. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the, one of the main purposes you and I are on the planet and you might want to just kind of guess at that. I'm going to tell you in a moment, what is the most important thing we are supposed to be doing on the planet and why God put us here? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is. It says in Matthew chapter 28, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples, just regular dudes, nobody special. These guys, common people from the Galilee. He says to them in those verses, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Did you know that you're so, you have been recruited by the Lord to engage in that very great task, the Great Commission, making disciples? If you're not already engaged, my job this morning is to try to recruit you into this. I want to get you from maybe on the benches and onto the playing field. I want to get you onto the front lines of this great mission that God has called us to be involved in. It's one of the greatest things and one of the most difficult things to do to make disciples. And that's why we need the wind of God's spirit to accomplish it. Before I get into talking about what it means to catch the wind of the Spirit, let me make sure that we all understand what a disciple is. If you're going to make one, you need to know what they're supposed to be like. If you're going to be one, you need to know how you should be. Well, the word mathetes in the uh, Greek New Testament, which is for the word disciple, uh, can be translated as student, but we get the wrong idea when we think about contemporary education and what a student is. It's not about sitting in rows and then facing the front and a lecturer at the front. 
uh, giving you a one-way uh, lecture. But in fact, in Jesus' day, becoming a disciple was to be a, an apprentice. You would learn from a rabbi or a great sage or master, and you wouldn't just show up at class, uh, you know, five days a week. But actually, you're living in the same community with that rabbi. Whatever the rabbi is doing, you're, you're watching him. He's modeling what it, what it means. And uh, you go with him wherever he goes. So you're an apprentice. You're learning how to be like that rabbi. And Jesus understood it that way. We see in uh, Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, these words, Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be like your teacher. Now, if you're wondering how good of a disciple you are, you might want to ask your, the question this morning, how much am I becoming more and more like my master? You might want to ask the question, uh, how much of what I'm doing is following him in his footsteps? I don't like to call people Christians. I like to call people Christ followers. You know, it's not just preaching the gospel and uh, saying the sinner's prayer and making a statement, I believe that Jesus is the, is the Messiah and the Savior and the Lord. It's actually more than that. It's actually following him, doing what he has commanded, walking where he would have you walk. It's following. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, for whom the Father foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. To be a disciple is to be conformed to the character of his son, the image of his son, but more than character, to actually do what your master is doing. What kind of work did Jesus do? Think about it. He spent time with big crowds, but he wasn't really into building a, um, a high-powered, huge international social media presence. <laughs> he was much more interested in the 12. He was especially interested in developing at a very deep level just three, Peter, James, and John. He took those with him to the Mount of Transfiguration and other places that were important for those three to go deeper with him so that they become more like him and do his work. And so it is in our day, and you don't have to be a professional preacher or pastor or in full-time ministry to make disciples. It might be one-on-one. -on -one. It might be you and three. It might be a small group of 12 in a home group, and, and there you are praying for one another. You are, you are sharing the word in an inductive study. Uh, you are sharing your needs and maybe your goods for somebody who needs those goods. We see that modeled throughout the book of Acts and the early church. How much of our churches are really like what it was in those days? We need to become more and more disciple makers and being in community where we can actually work with small numbers and, and do great things for God. So that's why I think each and every one of you are potential recruits for this work. Because you may have a small group in your own home, your own kids that you're raising. They are your first potential disciples that you would help them come to be like Jesus and to do the works of Jesus. We read in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the very introduction, where Luke writes these words, the former account I made, O Theophilus, that was the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke, 
of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, what he began to do and teach. Now, Jesus is about to be ascended to heaven. Luke's talking about that, and he's saying Jesus did not finish the task, did not finish the Great Commission. This is what he began to do. The rest of the work, the finishing of the tax, actually, task is actually left up to his disciples, which he trained for this very purpose. You know, this little startup that Jesus began would eventually grow into an incredible multinational enterprise that would impact the world like no other enterprise. Greater than Google, greater than Apple, greater than Facebook, greater than any enterprise that we know of. We see how we have offices all over the world, <laughs> millions of places where people gather and are scattered in order to bring the gospel. And we see the hospitals that were established by Christians. You know, almost all the hospitals that we see today had their origins. The original idea and the original model was, was accomplished through Christians who established those. And there's schools, orphanages, feeding centers, communities of worship and prayer. This little startup has profoundly influenced art and literature and music. Just read history and you will see how the church has impacted the world. You may feel like you're in this tiny little corner and you know what? The world is crowding in on us and, and maybe we should just stick to our own little, own little group and, and just uh, you know, be an echo chamber. No, no. We're part of a great enterprise. And I believe that before the Lord returns, we're going to see a great revival. I can show you from the scriptures, I don't have time this morning, that there's going to be a great outpouring of God's spirit. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That didn't happen on the day of Pentecost. It reached some flesh, but not all flesh. There's a great revival coming. But it's not about a bless me club that the Holy Spirit has poured out so that we get excited about life. Although the Holy Spirit does that. It's, we are blessed to bless others. We are given the Holy Spirit to make disciples. It's not about you and me. It's about the world that is lost and needing the good news. Every follower of Jesus needs to be making disciples. You may be in a workplace setting and you wonder, well, you know, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. Think about the Apostle Paul. He was a tent manufacturer. He was in business, and, and he didn't just start that way and then go into full-time ministry all the time. He actually went back to tent manufacture at another point in his ministry. He understood the importance of being in a strategic place at the right time and God using you in any particular context you're in. I, as a preacher, pastor, can't go into your workplace and be an influence and share God's word and model what it means to be a disciple. But you can do that. In your school, in your own home, among your relatives, close and distant, God has put you in a unique place for such a time as this. And God's not, not looking for carbon copies of people who stand like I do behind a platform with a microphone. Jesus is looking for all kinds of people. You know, he, he said to those common men at the Sea of Galilee, he called them out, he says, Follow me, 
and I will make you fishers of men. But each, each of those fishermen were unique individuals, all with different gifts, wiring, different in, uh, passions, different ways to do what they do. God's made us into all kinds of different fishermen to reach everyone. We have different skills, different fishing gear. There's not a one-size-fits-all methodology. There are all kinds of different fishermen who use different kinds of instruments. And your, unique, your unique personality, your unique gifting and skills and experience God needs right now in your particular context. Answer the call. He wants to recruit you to the front lines. You have an essential role to play. Now, what's making disciples of the Messiah look like? It might be teaching young children in a small group, summer camps, mentoring someone over lunch or coffee, giving guidance, counseling, modeling. Making disciples may involve providing educational resources that people need to grow in their walk with the Lord. Parents, I remind you again, you've got potential disciples right under your nose. Some discipleship happens when I'm a person like myself is preaching, but we can only reach a very superficial level. You can go deeper because you're developing a personal relationship with a group of people. You can be that influence. Making disciples, though, is hard. You know why? Because we do most of this work behind closed doors, and so there are a few people that are cheering us on. It takes lots of hours to invest in just a few people. And increasingly, our mobile devices are... And our Instagram accounts are competing for our attention. J.C. Ryle, a great minister, said, the highest form of selfishness is that, that of the man who is content to go to heaven alone. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap over hell over our bodies. How much of us have that sense of urgency and compassion for the lost you know, with me, it comes and goes. I need the Spirit to help me renew that passion and compassion for a lost world. And maybe you need that this morning as I'm sharing. The immensity of the task of reaching the whole world is intimidating. And then we've got this greatest obstacle to making disciples, and that is the devil. Knowing his time is short, he is working overtime to stop us in our task. And I think that each of us in this room today are witnessing how this roaring lion is increasingly roaming the world seeking victims to devour. And some of you see it in your own families. You see the devastation that he's creating. So in light of what's going on in our world today that seems to be more like the days of Noah, a day that, that maybe God would be just in destroying the nations, just as he did in the days of Noah, but saved a remnant. God has given us more time to reach a lost world with the gospel. I want to share the rest of this message now on how we need to catch the wind of the Spirit to fulfill this enormous, overwhelming task of making disciples. First of all, we need to understand that the Spirit of God is powerful. Just like the wind has power. Jesus gave a several-week seminar on the kingdom of God just before he ascended to heaven. He had a small group of disciples, and he talked about the kingdom and about the call to preach the gospel of the kingdom. 
And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, it says this. The disciples say this to Jesus. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And what was Jesus' answer? Verse 7 and 8, he says, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The gospel went forth from Jerusalem and made it all the way to Barrie, Ontario. How many of you are thankful for that? The gospel has reached every corner of the earth. There are, however, a few billion people who've still never heard a true presentation of the gospel and who Jesus really is, and many have not even heard his name. What a great task. How are we going to do that? I think of those early disciples. They were weak. I think of Peter. Just a few weeks before Jesus ascends into heaven, he denies that he even knows Jesus. He's afraid of this little handmaiden at the fire. But something happened to change his life in a powerful way. So here we have this ragtag crew of people that Jesus has been training for three and a half years. And Jesus is about to ascend, ascend into heaven. And he is confident enough that even though they are weak, that they can complete the task that he began. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he said... Wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And they did. And those 120 were praying in the upper room, waiting for the Spirit to come. And it came. He came. We read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The Holy Spirit showed up like a wind, I mean a powerful wind. There was a sound to it. And, it, and, and Luke says that there was a rushing mighty wind, and it changed everything. At Pentecost, this once petrified Peter became another person. On this biblical Jewish holiday, when hundreds of thousands of Jews from around the known world were coming up to Jerusalem to celebrate that feast, Peter comes out of that upper room, having been filled with the Holy Spirit. The wind had come into the room, and fire was on, over on the heads of each one. And they began to speak in other languages. They were bold emboldened by the wind of God's Spirit. And here's Peter. People are coming up to the temple in Jerusalem. He was probably standing on the southern steps, and I've been there many times, where people go up to the temple. And there's a place for thousands upon thousands of people to hear the word. And pre Peter gets up and preaches. What happens? Peter the fisherman caught a lot of fish that day, 3,000. And they were of all different kinds, not just trout and pickerel. These fish that came into his net that day were from all kinds of places in the world. An international community. We read this in Acts chapter 2, verse 9 and following, that the crowd was made up of Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Here we've got this Jewish preacher also preaching to Arabs. That's the hope of the Middle East. <laughs> 
the Holy Spirit coming and reconciling enemies. Those 3,000 didn't come into the kingdom because of Peter's great eloquence, his persuasiveness, but he had the wind at his back. The Holy Spirit had filled him and propelled him, and 3,000 were saved. That is the key to making disciples. Now, let me mention a few other attributes of wind. I'm going to share three more. Wind produces energy, and we need lots of energy to do the work of God. How many of you need a little more energy today? Uh, you made it to the service. You, you, you wanted to sleep in until noon, but no, you came. But it was hard. You, how many of us just need a little more energy to do the work of God? Amen. Well, today, engineers are harnessing the wind like never before. Wind turbines are stationed at places where they can harness that wind and turn it into electricity. 45% of Denmark's energy is produced by wind power. And I just read in the last few days that wind energy is the fastest growing and lowest cost source of new electricity generation in Canada. Now, I'm not going to get into global warming and how we need to reduce carbon emissions and produce renewable energy. Who needs another reason to argue about something? But the principle is this. The power of wind produces energy. Spiritually speaking, it's the wind of God's Spirit that will produce the energy we need to fulfill the Great Commission. Paul prayed this in Ephesians 3, verse 16, that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might, how? Through His Spirit in the inner man. Second, another attribute of wind. Wind moves things. And how does it move? We read... the that uh, the Holy Spirit often moved Paul and the, the missionaries in the early church from place to place. They, and many of that, those places, they hadn't planned to go. But the Spirit, the wind of God, blew them to various places. Have you ever been in a hurricane kind of wind or tropical force winds? And you've got a plan to walk this way, but you don't have a choice. The wind does the choosing. It moves you to the right or to the left or wherever it wants you to go. In the same way, the Holy Spirit may change your whole direction. In this very service this morning, he may change your whole direction in life. I was in a service like this. I was sitting in the back row 50 years ago in Torremolino, Spain. I was hitchhiking all over the world, well, all over Europe and North Africa, and I was directionless. And one of the reasons I went and traveled the world was to figure out why am I on the planet? What's my direction? And I was in that service and suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon me. I didn't feel a wind, but the wind of the Spirit was there. A refreshing wind. And a wind that directed me changed my whole course. And I have been doing the same thing basically for the last 50 years because of that experience of being in the back row of a church like this and the wind of God's Spirit come. He moved me in a whole new direction. And he may want to change your whole direction today. Who knows? But it's more than just a career change or uh, a whole life change, but actually it can be a daily and even hourly kind of direction that the wind of God's Spirit wants to do in us and through us. I was on a golf course a few months ago, and uh, 
the guy I was going to golf with, a good friend and actually a missionary, he couldn't make it suddenly. And I went and I thought, well, I'm, I'll be happy to golf by myself and, you know, fix the problems, fix my slice, you know. So I'm, I get to the golf course and they put me with two other guys who showed up. They were rough looking characters and they were smoking weed on the golf course. And I just kind of got to know them. And, and uh, one of the guys, the name was Lewis, about the fifth hole, he's saying, man, I, I can hardly do anything today. My, my, my knee is so sore. I've been suffering from this. And I felt some compassion for this guy. You know what the Holy Spirit told me to do? Pray for him. He's not a Christian. He doesn't look like he's got any interest in spiritual things. But I'm, I asked him, Lewis, can I pray for your, your knee? And so I did. About five holes later, his buddy says to me, hey, Lewis just told me his knee is no more pain. Then I asked Lewis, tell me, is it true? Is, is the pain gone? He said, yeah, it's totally gone. You know, the Holy Spirit directs us moment by moment. I think of a time when we wanted to build our worship center in Jerusalem. I had just had a Holy Spirit revival in the Galilee after a very discouraging season. And the Lord gave me, I believe, the gift of faith to believe for the impossible. And I didn't think we could ever have our own worship center. But the Lord directed me by his Spirit to look for property. We found the largest movie theater in, in, in the city of Jerusalem, right on Jaffa Street, the main street in downtown Jerusalem. It's an amazing strategic location. It was an impossibility to be able to buy that and build it, rebuild it. But the Lord gave us the faith. And I remember sitting, we, we were about to sign a contract for $2.8 million to buy this shell of a theater because it had been lying, uh, collecting dust. And I didn't know where to get the money from. We had saved up 200000 We had a faith level before that of maybe just buying an office. But I said, I, I was about to sign this contract with no money down, guaranteeing that within two weeks, $1.2 million would be in their hands. I spoke to the uh, missions director of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. I said, what would you do? Should I sign this thing? And I knew they didn't have any money to help either at that time. He said, sign it. I signed that thing. Wow, that was scary. I was in our staff meeting a few days later, and I got this sense in my spirit I'm supposed to get on a plane. And I nudged my wife. She said, well, where are you going to go? I said, I don't know. I got a receptionist to call a travel agent, and she said, where do you want to go? I said, I don't know yet. She got the guy on the phone, and three cities came to my mind and people to see. Within six hours, I'm on a plane. Within 12 hours, a couple that I went to see in Europe prayed, and the Lord told them to give us $1.5 million dollars. Actually, he had $300,000, actually $500,000 more than we needed for that particular moment. And God provided in miraculous ways and has taken me on adventurous journeys all over the place to do what God's called me to do. The wind of the Spirit can blow you moment by moment. Are you open to the moving of the Spirit? Some of us like the fact that we're in a nice, secure, comfortable place. I don't want to move again. Have you ever said that? I don't want to move again. Holy Spirit may want you to move again. Are you open to that? That's what the wind of the Spirit can do. There's another attribute of the wind, and the attribute of the wind is that it makes traveling easier. <laughs> Think of a sailboat. Doesn't have an outboard motor, doesn't need one. The sailor puts up the sail, and the wind is caught and takes that boat to where it needs to go. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this great commission on our own. We need supernatural wind 
to take us so that the hard things become easy. Jesus once said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I didn't always understand that. It seemed to me like his commandments are pretty heavy and hard. But with the Holy Spirit, with the wind at our back, with the wind in our sails, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. I think of Paul, a great example of what I was talking about. The Spirit moved him as an evangelist all over the known Roman Empire at the time. He didn't have it all worked out. He was open to the move of the Spirit. And it made his work easier. And he planted many, many congregations and had a powerful impact on his world at that time. Well, I'm coming to a conclusion. Each of us is called to do our own unique part in making disciples. It's the Great Commission, greater than you and me. We're not smart enough. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough to pull this off. And God knows that. And that's why he sends the wind of his spirit to give us the energy that we need, the discernment to know what direction he wants to move us. He gives us tasks that may seem impossible, but with the wind in our sails, he can make what seems hard very easy. But in order to do this work, we need to put up our sails. We need to stop trying to do this work in our own strength. We need to acknowledge our weakness and depend upon his strength. We need to ask for his wind, the spirit. Listen to this, Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You want to have the wind of the Spirit today? He said, ask. He gives. He's a good father. What else? We need to wait. We read this, that you should wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. It wasn't waiting like you would wait in a doctor's office and, you know, twiddling your thumbs or reading a Time magazine. No. It's active waiting. And they waited in the upper room and they prayed and they worshiped the Lord. It was in that kind of atmosphere that the holy wind of God's spirit came. They were patiently and persevering in their waiting and praying that the spirit would come. It may not happen the way you would like at the end of the service, but if you will persevere in prayer and you keep on asking, he will fill you. Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, he said, do not be drunk with wine, which can cause debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And it's in a Greek, it's a Greek uh, word that actually means literally keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's a daily thing. It's a daily asking. That's something that I've just been doing each morning as I'm in my devotions, one of the things I ask for, Holy Spirit, come upon me fresh and pray in the Spirit for a period of time. And the Lord gives me what I need to do His work and to do my little part in accomplishing the Great Commission. Jesus, Jesus would have us catch His wind. He's sending us into a great work. Is anyone in this room ready to be enlisted, to be on the front lines of the Great Commission. I'm not going to embarrass you and ask you to put up your hand or, and watch for those who don't put up their hand. But this is what the Holy Spirit would say to you. 
This is the reason you're on the planet. Yes, all these other things are important too, but they're all sub points to the great point, which is to make disciples of all peoples. Lord, help us. We ask for your spirit to come upon us today and help us, Lord, to empty ourselves enough for you to fill us entirely with your spirit. More of you and less of us, Lord, we pray. May we keep on keeping on doing the work you've called us to do and give us discernment which role you'd have us play in this great work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Maple View Community Church Podcast. Mm-hmm.